I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Saturday School. This season, we're talking about Asian films on Asian America, and this episode is about the 2001 film Batang West Side by Lav Diaz, a five-hour film. Five hours and 15 minutes. Guess which one of us chose this film? <laughs> I was pretty excited to get you to watch a Lav Diaz movie. I, you had not seen... Did you watch Norte, The End of History? No, I did not. Okay. That was the one I can, right? That was the one I can, yeah, the year that we were there. The first time that both of us attended, and there was this four-hour movie that I didn't watch, but you watched it. It's only four hours, but I remember, usually when we were at Cannes, like, we're watching like three to four movies a day, but that day I told myself, maybe just two movies today, because one of them is going to be over four hours. I guess if you're watching like, if you're watching like three or four two-hour films a day, then why not watch one four-hour film? Exactly. And you don't, you don't have to leave your seat, get back in line. But I do remember that you and the other hardcore film folks were super excited about the new Lav Diaz. And I just looked at the four-hour running time and was like, good luck with that. <laughs> I think that's natural. And so, so for the people who don't know, Lav Diaz is a Filipino filmmaker who's legendary for his very, very long movies. Batang Side, as you mentioned, is five hours and 15 minutes. He has some that go to like 8, 11 hours. So 5 hour 15 is pretty average for him. Um, and we'll get into what that actually consists of. But I think your initial reaction to like, am I going to watch this movie? Maybe you should just watch it. It's totally normal. Every time I tell people that I watched his films, they just shudder. With like, why would you do that to yourself? But then I tell them, I bet you could totally binge 5 hours of Game of Thrones and not even notice the time went by. So there's something psychological about it. It just seems like if it's not broken up, that it's undoable. Yeah, coincidentally, before I watched the Lav Diaz film, I did finally watch the last season of Game of Thrones, which I guess is comparable. (laughs) But to be fair, it took me a long time to want to watch the last season of Game of Thrones for a similar reason, because it's so long. And it's not, it wasn't even that long. It was like six hours, but I don't know. I have young kids, so. <laughs> it's psychological, but it's the boundary that I think, like you mentioned having kids, but a lot of people are saying like, you know, I have work to do, or when I come home from work, I don't want to spend that much time on one thing. And also there's no musical numbers, like a Bollywood movie that maybe might be like three and a half hours right. and it would have an intermission in the middle. It's escapism. I just assumed because it was like a type of film that was lauded at international film festivals that it was going to be a very quiet film, (laughs) you know? Because the film is 5 hours and 15 minutes, you can have very, very, very long scenes. And they are very long. And they're very long shots and practically no close-ups. For Lav Diaz, this is basically a police movie. But by other standards, this is a very slow art movie. So tell us more about Lav Diaz, Brian. Yeah, well, I think that part of the length is the provocation of the film. First of all, it's saying, why not five hours? Because a story can take that long to tell, just as Game of Thrones can be six hours for a season. But the provocation is also, we're so obsessed with counting the hours of our day and making ourselves feel like film is an escape. And that just means work has won. That just means like the life that we are forced to abide by by society has won. 
and kind of not really forcing yourself to watch a Lav Diaz movie, but allowing yourself to watch a Lav Diaz movie is a kind of liberation from the clock of capitalism um, of this kind of neoliberal world. It's that kind of provocation too. But would you say that if you binge watched some other type of TV show that did not have the... The audacity? Yeah, audacity or critical acclaim and kind of artistic value. Like if I was... Instead of watching a five-hour Love Diaz film, I was like binge-watching all of the Big Bang Theory. Would I also be making a commentary? <laughs> I mean, I sure, I, I think you can make a claim for that. But there's something about the term binge that's also related to the word consume. It's about consumption. It's about like, I'm going to finish a season. And so it's not really that you're giving yourself to it. It's more that you're like, you're trying to consume as much of it as you can. That can't be the approach you take to a Love Diaz movie. Because, first of all, you're not going to get the thrills you would get from something you binge. So it's more about surrendering to those five hours. And I don't think that's how people binge Big Bang Theory. So Batang West Side is interesting in one sense because you think about Lav Diaz as one of the great Filipino directors. I was surprised to find out that Batang West Side, the film I had heard of before, was completely set in New Jersey. He's usually like making movies about the Filipino countryside or just things that are seemingly quintessentially Filipino. And Batang West Side is. It's obsessed with the Philippines, but it's completely set in New Jersey, and it focuses on a Filipino cop who's been in the U.S., I think he said for like about a decade. He is investigating the murder of a young Filipino man. I'm at West Side Avenue, corner of Virginia Street. A Filipino kid was shot, dead on the spot, I guess. And the structure of the film is he's interviewing people who knew this kid. His name is Hansel interviewing his family members, his girlfriend, people he kind of had run-ins with, and it becomes a sort of like Citizen Kane, like peel back the layers only to find it more and more mysterious the more you search. And then um, interspersed with that are scenes of the cop named Juan, who's played by the great Joel Torre. Working through his own issues, he goes to a psychiatrist, and he has these visions that are in black and white of seemingly someone who could be his mother or... You're not quite sure. And that's the structure for the entire five hours as we get closer and closer to the truth of what happened to this kid, Hansel. So it's basically a cop movie. We've seen this in countless Hollywood films. The cop who is investigating some kind of sinister crime, but we also realize the cop is going through some issues himself. But really, Lav Diaz is question that he's asking is, where is the soul of the Philippines? He's talked about this too in interviews, that there's something about leaving the Philippines that allows you to see it a little bit more clearly. Love Diaz talks about how he was living in the U.S. in the 1990s for a few years, and during this time, he started to get a new perspective, not just on the United States, which is really not his interest with this film, um, but what it means to be Filipino. Yeah, there's an early scene with the cop, and he's in therapy. We are possessed by our dreams and memories, and we have to confront them. But I may cleansing salob. And he's talking about how he's disconnected with everybody in his life. His wife and kids are back in the Philippines. But she says something like, "Oh yeah, that's a very typical Filipino condition." <laughs> or something. Yeah. So when it begins, like that condition that she talks about, you can associate that with being a member of the diaspora, right? You know, you're overseas. He talks about like having no connection with anybody. He doesn't really communicate with people anymore. He doesn't really have friends or family. 
And then the more you watch, the more you realize that's just not, it's not just for people who are overseas, but that might just be the psyche of the Philippines circa 2001. And something just about being overseas that sharpens that perspective. There's all this talk about whether you want to go back to the Philippines. It sounds a little bit like Sana Malit Muli, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Another film from the Philippines that's about Filipinos living in the United States. Except that one had the structure of a romance. And I could really believe in the romance as a way to solve problems, to reconcile relationships. Whereas this one seems to have, because it's in a sort of art cinema mode, it has none of those kind of moral touch points that allows us to believe in the characters or to understand how they're going to redeem themselves. Really, they're just let loose. Even a cop who's supposed to be like the moral center, it's almost nihilistic the way he's just kind of walking through. Like, yeah, he's trying to solve a crime, but like, does he? what does he actually believe in? Right, right. And then clearly, like, the more he looks into it, he uncovers this underground world of young Filipinos and Filipino-Americans who are dabbling in drugs, um, they call it shabu. Um, I think it's basically crystal meth. Shabu ang isa sa mga sumpa ng ating lahi. It's like they have a lover somewhere that's going to allow them to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to get myself together so I can fulfill my romantic destiny. Like there is no destiny. Everyone's just drifting apart, and it's kind of scary. And you watch it for five hours. Is this typical of Love Diaz films? It's worth mentioning that before this, his films were a little bit more commercial. They were of quote unquote normal length or conventional length. But this is the film that created the Lavdi as we know today, mm. uh, which is quote-unquote slow films that are four-plus hours. And I think he may attribute his finding his cinematic voice as a result of being in the U.S. It was because he was in New York and away from the Philippine film industry that he had the audacity of making a film this long, not worrying too much about the Filipino commercial market. And do the critical success of this film. And this film is considered, I've, I've seen it named like the, the greatest Philippine film of the 21st century. I totally get it, just in terms of like the statement it's trying to make about the nation. But I think because of the critical claim he got from this film, and probably the satisfaction he had from making a film his way, you could say New York invented Love Diaz, or the freedom he had in New York as a Filipino in the U.S. created the cinematic voice that has now been so identified with Philippine cinema. With a lot of the films that we've been thinking about thus far in this season, when Asian cinema is thinking about the overseas, often it's about Westernization. Like you discover that Chinese American or Japanese American, they become more and more Americanized and that becomes some kind of negative attribute. Whereas that's not at all a interest of Batang Waset, or like that's not an obsession. It's not about assimilation versus loyalty. It's about not getting into drugs. Yeah, I think what the really scary realization by the end of the film is it doesn't matter if you are in the Philippines or in the United States, it doesn't matter if you're alive or you're dead, your soul is already crushed. <laughs> like, you're already lost. Man, it's kind of scary. So that... everyone go watch this five-hour movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, like as the film goes along, um, this is only something I can appreciate now because I've done a little research on Philippine cinema for a series I did earlier this year. Towards the end of the film, the cop actually starts hanging out with the documentary filmmaker. There's a scene where I think some characters are watching a film on TV called Batch 81, which is one of the legendary Philippine films from the 1980s. And it's about how ordinary Filipino people, especially men, succumb to the seductions of fascism. And it's very much about the Marcos regime and life under martial law. And they include a scene from Batch 81 that's basically talking about the ways that Filipinos have been coaxed into thinking that martial law is okay. And so you see by the end this feeling that like that fascist 
desire or like sense of surrendering to fascism is in the air. And that's really scary too. And you see how that's related to this guy who says, I just want to create glory for the Philippines by becoming the biggest transnational drug dealer, exploiting addicts and making money for us. And there's something like weirdly paralleling that and you know, the rise of capitalism in the Philippines and the drug trade and today with Duterte and stuff, even though that's kind of post Batangwa's side. So he's really diving us into just the creepy air. And it's, he does it again very, very slowly. Like um, It takes a few hours to get to that point. But by that point, he has us by the hook. We just keep watching. And it's really powerful. Yeah, definitely. Different from all the other films we've covered so far this season. I, I, I did notice while watching this movie, like there's a total fascination with snow. Yeah. <laughs> just snow everywhere. And, and part of it is to create this feeling of despondency and like the the world just there's like there's no like warmth to this world yeah but i think it's also kind of exoticism of a new jersey landscape i mean that i don't know <laughs> that seems like a uh, a strange statement to make but yeah that, that like part of the exoticism of being in the united states is having snow everywhere but also like the work of like having to shovel snow so i think that's one way of them showing the distance from the philippines that they know and the philippines that they're in now lav diaz probably saw it as a pretty good way to underscore the kind of alienation that these characters are going through there's also no um did you get a sense that there was any expectation for america to be a greater place no yeah, so that's probably a little bit different. It's almost like, what's the point? It's, it's really terrible, a cruel way of thinking about identity. I have in a note that I took. One of the characters says, what happened to Hansel, the, the guy who got killed, what happened to Hansel is what's happening to the Philippines. The efforts of our heroes have been to waste. Like the heroes from the past that won us independence from the U.S. and from the Spanish and from other colonizers are to waste. And it doesn't matter where we are in the world. We're just completely lost. Wow. <laughs> and it seems like becoming Filipino-American is not really an option. Like they don't really talk about that. Like one way of kind of cutting yourself loose of the demons of Filipinoness would potentially be just to let that go and then assimilate. But in this film, that's not, we don't really see a route to that. Yeah, I think one of the characters does just say, like, well, we're never going to be American. Yeah. Like, like, don't even aspire to that, basically. Like, being a drug dealer, that's these are your good options. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not really sure what the good options are. Like, being a cop doesn't seem like a particularly noble aspiration in this film. Especially the more we get to know him. Oh, yeah, there's like a girlfriend who's an interesting character because she's the one who speaks English the whole time. And most of the film is in Tagalog, but she explains in the film that her parents spoke to her in Tagalog, but they wouldn't let her and her siblings speak it back. So she only speaks English. And I don't know if she represents a certain type of Americanness, but I feel like she, in some ways, there's hope in her, but then it just gets demolished. It's just like her role in the film is to be a beacon of hope, but then she just is horrified by everything that's going on around her. <laughs> that's interesting you brought up that part about her and language, because I think in a Filipino-American film or Asian-American film, like losing your Tagalog, it means you're gaining English. Whereas in this film, losing Tagalog means you've just lost it all. Like, there's nothing to gain from that. You just kind of slip into the vacuum of culturelessness. So just as Lev Diaz found in New York a certain liberation 
Well, in Take Me Away, the film we talked about from Japan a few weeks ago, like the characters are liberated by going to the United States, like sexually liberated, romantically liberated. But we see with the case of Batang West Side how a filmmaker can feel like aesthetically liberated once they go to the United States. That's something I think unique with these stories of Asia does Asian America, that there's sort of adventurousness in style. And I wanted to include a film like this in the season, partly to acknowledge that there is a trend of art cinema in Asia that uses the overseas as a way to further develop their aesthetic adventurousness. Mm-hmm. So another example of this is a Patrick Tam film from Hong Kong from 1981 called Love Massacre, which is a Bridget Lin film. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in some ways, it's like a like a lot of the, the films she made in the 1970s, these kind of frothy um, love triangle kind of movies, except this is done with all the sort of alienation techniques that you might find from... European art cinema, but done in San Francisco. And Hong Kong cinema actually has a lot of examples like this. You have a director like Evans Chan. I think he spent some time in Chicago. And finding experimental techniques to convey the somewhat experimental nature of adventuring beyond your country. Like once you go abroad, you have to like invent a new world because you have to invent a new worldview to accommodate this strange, whether it's alienation or a, a feeling like you may or may not fit in. So Asians in America has been the inspiration for a lot of art filmmakers from Asia to to do new things. Oh, that's nice to think about. (laughs) Yeah. Is this film easily accessible? I'm guessing no. I mean, for a lot of reasons, it's not accessible. Like, it's never found a distributor, as far as I know, either in the Philippines or in the United States. Even though there was a restoration recently, right? Yeah, there was a restoration. And after Norte, the end of history, repopularized him in the Cannes Film Festival, or found him new audiences. Some of his recent films have gotten distribution in the U.S. Definitely seek those out. Like, The Woman Who Left is a great film. Any recent Lav Diaz movie is a masterpiece. Yeah, but Tang Side has sort of slipped through the cracks. I mean, it was shot in film. So the, the, the process of restoration was probably a little bit more involved, but they've done it. So I hope some adventurous distributor picks it up. I mean, there is definitely an audience that's waiting for this to reemerge. So maybe the point of this episode then is not just for you all to seek this film out. And I understand that a lot of people probably aren't like ready to watch a five and a half hour art film. But to think about the way that art cinema can be a function of the Asian American experience. Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our logo is by Grace Talis Lee. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And the podcast Twitter handle is Wake Up Sat School. Class dismissed. Hey, if you want to listen to more podcasts, I'd suggest you check out the Potluck Podcast Collective. Marvin Ye, our leader, made a really cool teaser that you can check out if you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and wherever else he posted this. Instagram. I'm pretty sure he posted it on Instagram. Find us at Podcast Potluck and listen to shows like Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, Books and Boba, They Call Us Bruce, First of All, Us, even though you're already listening to us, Asian Americana and many more. Check it out.